African phrase that means I am because we are. There's a story of a philanthropist traveling through Africa who stopped at a village where he saw some kids playing. The man challenged the kids to a race, promising that whoever wins will be rewarded with a basket of fruit. When the man gave the order for the kids to begin, however, he couldn't believe his eyes. Instead of a mad dash to the finish line, every single one of the kids locked hands, and in that fashion, they crossed the finish line, sat down, and began enjoying the fruit together. The man was blown away and asked, why did you do that? You could have had all of the fruit for yourself. To that, a little girl responded, Ubuntu. How can one of us be happy if all the others are sad? One of us be happy when all the others are sad. I probably should have timed this out a little better. That's a sobering statement, isn't it? My name is David Giles, and I am the uh, director of the Ubuntu Family Ministry, as well as the associate student pastor here at Gayton. And after the persuasion of my wife, I was exposed to a new realm of hurt here in our community. My eyes were opened to the trauma of teens and kids right here in our backyard. And quite honestly, I rejected it. I rejected the call to say yes. And part of the reason I did that was because I, I, I never heard a message like what you guys are going to hear today. I was forced with a response a handful of years ago. That, that brought me to, brought me face to face to this idea of Ubuntu, and I really didn't recognize it. You see, I had a young son. My young son was, was brought to us, and in that moment, I had a choice to either say, yes, I can no longer be happy while you are sad, or I could say, no, I'm going to continue to be happy even though you are sad. And that's where I was a couple of years ago. Um, if you're wondering, today we're going to be talking a little bit about uh, foster care and adoption. Uh, but more importantly, today we're going to talk about the third component that a lot of people don't necessarily know about, and that's the wraparound care of it. And I'm really excited to, uh, to talk about that because what's interesting about the, the wraparound care is that if you look at the gospel message, it's weaved all throughout God's word. All throughout his word, we hear of this. There's a common theme of caring for, for orphans and the fatherless in our, in our community. And this message is not just a suggestion. It's not just a, a thing for, for moms and, and women in, in those groups. This is a gospel message for everyone who follow Christ. So I wanted to, to let you know that. Now, the little known truth, the little known truth is that the message of fostering and adopting and wraparound care is an integral part of the gospel message. It's an integral part. However, only about 5% of Christians actually foster or adopt. And very few people 
involve themselves in the care either as life guide coaches or volunteering respite, what have you, in that manner as well. So as we, as we think about that, if you're like I was a handful of years ago, you probably had no idea about this. And if you were like I was a handful of years ago, um, you're probably saying, even if, even if you came to Stan Sunday last year, you could have left that event and said, that's a great, that's a great thing for them to do. That's a great ministry, and I hope they have success with that. But the truth is that there is no them here when it comes to this, according to God anyway. There is no them. We are all in this together. So as we think about that and as we think about how we are actually intertwined with this idea of the Ubuntu message, how can one of us be happy when all the others are sad? I want us to, to um, I want to ask you a question. What would you say would be the minimum number of times a directive from God, a directive, that was God speaking to us right now, saying, move up and move out into the world. But what would, what would you say would be the minimum, minimum number of times that God would have to make a directive in his word before we begin to consider that and begin to apply it in our lives for it to require our serious attention? Once, twice, I was going to do something really cool and ask everybody to stand up and then we have that effect of the number of times, but we're not going to do that. Um, don't tempt me, though. <laughs> but um, but we're, going to look at, we're going to look at some of these verses. And quite honestly, the, the, the point of what we're doing is not for you to memorize all of these verses. The point is not for us to go into a lot of depth behind what these verses um, you know, theological, the, the depth and the history and all of that, but it's to really just allow you to make you aware of the scope of what God does say and the number of times that it's actually mentioned right here in this word that we are called to care. Not all of us are called to foster and adopt. So maybe that'll put a, a, a handful, that'll put you at ease. Not everybody in this room is called to foster and adopt, but we are all called to care. And if you notice that around the bowls that were uh, set out this morning, um, hopefully by the end of this time together, you will um, recognize that and you will see that. So we're going we're gonna to look into these. First, I want to start off with, um, I want to start off in Psalms. Psalm 146, verse 9. And in Psalms 146, verse 9, it says, The Lord watches over the sojourners. Those are the, the foreigners in our, in our country. He holds up the widow and the fatherless. But the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. The word for upholds here, if we look at that, the word, it, it embodies the, the idea of encircling, of upholding, of, of standing up for the people, of supporting. And this is what the Lord is doing. Not only that, in Psalm 68, 5, it says, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. So God is their father. When there's no earthly relationship, God is their father. So that poses the question, or it brings this to light, I should say. We should treat every single person, especially these people, 
who are the vulnerable, the orphans in our community, as if God is their father, because it says it right here. Deuteronomy 10, 18 says he executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. So not only is God standing for them, not only is he their father, he is executing justice for the, for the, um, for the fatherless and he's providing for them. And it doesn't stop there. If we look at Exodus 22, uh, verses um, 21 through through 22, it says, you shall not wrong a sojourner and oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. And Deuteronomy 24, 17 and Deuteronomy 27, 19 also echo those same sentiments. So not only is God saying, I'm going to stand up for these kids, I'm going to protect these kids, I'm going to execute justice for these kids, I want you to do the same thing. So he gives us a command there. And also, I think this is a good time to pause and look at the three categories that have been listed by God in each of these verses. If we look at these categories, we see the fatherless, we see uh, the foreigners, the sojourners, and we also see the widows. And if we think about this, if we think about this, the times that, that this was written, it was racked with war and it was racked with conquest. And you had all of these different societies and these different tribes competing against each other. So there was a lot of war, so there was a lot of death. So in these communities, in these civilizations that are being created, God's noticing that there's going to be a lot of fatherless kids because the fathers were the ones who went off to war. And there's going to be a lot of widows. And in the process, you have people who are traveling in and out, either those, uh, the foreigners, either they're the ones who were taken over, they're, they're the ones who were being captured, or they were just transient population. But at any rate, these were the most vulnerable people in that nation. And I believe, as God, I think he's saying here, is that a, the true test of a civilization, the true test of a nation is how it treats its most vulnerable people. How do you treat your most vulnerable people groups? So I think that leads into Isaiah 1:17. It says, "Learn to do good, seek justice, correct oppression, bring justice to the fatherless, plead the widow's cause." Now, honestly, I could probably stop here, and I would hope that that would be sufficient evidence for you guys to say, "Got it. We're supposed to care for the orphan." But I got about eight more minutes, so we're going to keep rolling. Um, so let's look at a couple of other verses in Deuteronomy. And the reason why I want to do this is because I want to make the link, make a connection, a link to these verses of connecting and caring for the fatherless and the, and the, the widows and the foreigners in our country with the ultimate justice that was paid for our salvation. So if you stick with me, we'll, we'll, we'll do that here in just a second. So if we look at um, Deuteronomy, the author of Deuteronomy was Moses. And everybody kind of knows the story of Moses. He was the one who uh, brought the people out of Egypt. He said, you know, to the Pharaoh, let my people go. Went through the, the wilderness, had the Red Sea parted and all of that. Um, then they ended up being in the wilderness for 40 years when it was a very short trip and they should have been in the promised land that God had promised. They should have been there very shortly. It should have been a brief trip, but it wasn't. So in Deuteronomy, this is where we pick up, and this is where 
Moses is actually writing a letter to the, to the, to the Israelites, the ones, the generation that will make it into the promised land. The ones who did stand on God's word and believe that God could take them to the promised land. And in this letter, God, or Moses through God, or God through Moses, is letting these people know this is how I want you to start this nation. These are the things that you need to put in place to have a godly nation. So that's the backdrop for what we look at through the lens that I would like for you to view Deuteronomy as we look at some of these verses. Because God, I, th- I think Moses is arguing that the, the right response to God's grace is shown in these verses that we're looking at right now. So let's start with uh, Deuteronomy 14, 22 through 29. God is instructing his people to set aside a tithe from the, gain- from the grains every single year. On the third year, this tithe is to be placed amongst the people so that And as we pick up in verse 29, the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you and the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow who are within your town shall come and eat and be filled that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. And this idea of every third year setting aside the grain is also repeated in Deuteronomy 26, uh, 12 through 13. And we see a similar command in Deuteronomy 16, 9 through 12, for God's people to remember the fatherless, the widow, and the foreigner during the festival of the weeks. The same directive is given for the festival of booths as well, which is in Deuteronomy 16, 13 through 17. Now, if you want to go back and read those and find out a little more about the festival of the weeks and festival of the booths, we don't have time necessarily to do that right now. However, I do encourage going back to do that, uh, going back and reading that. Here's what I do want you to recognize. These festivals are essentially parties. These are times of celebration that God is saying, you know, as you're establishing this nation, I want you to think about celebrating. God is saying, I want you to be happy. But you can't be happy when others are sad. God is saying, I want you to be happy, but I want you to make sure that everybody in this nation is happy. I want you to make sure that everyone in this nation is celebrating. And this is what God is saying here. So you may be thinking, but Giles, these are all Old Testament verses and they don't apply to us. Well, I would disagree with that. But um, and these aren't even all of the Old Testament ones. These are just some of the ones I just wanted to pull out just a handful. But. What does the New Testament have to say about this? And we're just going to look at two, and then you'll see a third one in the, um, a later video this, um, later this morning. But Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven 37 through 40 says this. Jesus is asked the question, what is the most important commandment? He's asked that question, what is the most important commandment? We just talked about all of those commandments in Deuteronomy, all of the commandments, even the ones in Exodus. I mean, you could go back that most of the Old Testament is called the law because They are commandments from God. And Jesus boils down to two things. One, he says to uh, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. Love your neighbor. The people groups that we just talked about are our neighbors. 
They are literally people right here in our backyard. These are people God has told us to care for. James 1.27 says, says this, Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. When I think of pure and undefiled religion, here's, here's one reason why I think that James said, uh, used the, the phrase pure and undefiled religion. Because when you step into the lives of, of kids who are experiencing this type of brokenness, you can't do it with a fake religion. You will be, your heart will be exposed at every single level. Your desires will be exposed. It's going to reveal itself really quickly if you're doing this because you love these kids or you're doing this because you want a couple social media likes on Instagram or Facebook. You cannot hide the love. You cannot hide the religion when you have someone in your home. And so having said that, I do not think this is also saying wait until you are pure before you decide to, to do this as well. I think this is saying this is the beginning steps, the beginning steps to figuring out or to becoming pure, to becoming an undefiled, having an undefiled religion is stepping into this space. So. I mentioned earlier how the commands in Deuteronomy ultimately brought us all the greatest standard, the greatest act of justice that this world has ever seen. In Deuteronomy 24, 19, we hear from Moses. He's telling us, he's telling the people, the landowners, to, as they are harvesting their crops, if anything falls, not to go back and get it. He's saying, leave that for the orphan the widow, and the foreigners. So why is that an important story? Well, we, if you go to the book of Ruth, we read about a woman who was a widow and a foreigner. And this woman was in the land of the people, of God's people. And she happened to go to this farm where a man named Boaz decided that he was going to actually follow God's command and care for this vulnerable population. And as she was gleaning or as she was picking these fruits up to put into her basket, to take back to, to her house, she met Boaz and they fell in love. It's a lot longer story than that, but that's kind of the gist of it. And they, they had offspring. And what does this have to do with, with Stan Sunday? Well, we see that he followed the command to care for those people. Boaz and Ruth were the great-grandparents of King David. King David, as we know, through his lineage came Jesus. So what would have happened if Boaz had said, that, you know what, I want you guys, I know we just picked this and we're supposed to go back and, and we're supposed to let the, the widows and the, and the fatherless kids and we're supposed to let them pick glean from the fields, but I want you guys to go back and get that because we need that. What would have happened? Our story would look entirely different right now had that, were that the case. Boaz decided to say yes when it did not make any sense for him to marry a foreign woman. 
But his yes ended up providing a opportunity for us to say yes to not only salvation, but to every single person that Jesus has called us to love for. There's a video that's uh, about to show next um, by a good friend of mine. Many of you know him, and you can say he didn't necessarily have the same situation as Boaz, but he had a, every opportunity to not say yes, but he did anyway. My name's Mike Brummagen and been going to Gaten Baptist since 2006 and a single dad with uh, four children at 22, 20, 15, and 14. So girl boy, girl girl. And I answered God's calling to stand for kids in foster care. Um, about a year ago, um, I stand Sunday. Uh, Hope Tree Family Services uh, came uh, with, with Giles. Uh, as a host and presented about foster care, something that had already been on my heart, but this was a real catalyst, uh, what I feel was God's calling to stand and, and to take the next steps, which I did, and became certified as a respite uh, foster parent. It was not God speaking to me, it was more like God was reaching in and grabbing my heart and saying enough you know, procrastination or excuses, let's get on it. Yeah, so from the time I got certified until I got my first placement was was uh, a little over three months. And um, I, I got a little discouraged uh, during that period. Um, I, they, they, now, in all fairness, they had called me once before during that period for a placement, and I couldn't do it because I was traveling out of state to, to visit with my oldest daughter and our had plane tickets and reservations and everything. So... I couldn't do it. So in all fairness, I, I had been called to get a placement. And I was actually disappointed that, that I, I, I had to say, no, I couldn't take it. I was just a little discouraged. I kind of had a feeling I was maybe at the bottom of the list. Um, maybe some of it was just my own mind playing tricks on me because, you know, being a single dad. But, um, you know, it does limit the type of placements that I can take as a single parent, and uh, which is understandable. So... Uh, you know, I was wondering, gee, am I ever going to get a placement? Maybe this wasn't uh, a calling. And in fact, uh, you and I had dialogue about that and relative to potentially talking about fostering. And I was like, I don't think I'm a good fit because I haven't had a placement yet. And uh, lo and behold, like the very next day, I mean, it's just one of those God things. I mean, the very next day I got a call for a placement on a weekend I was very available and uh, was able, able to take it. And that was just this past weekend. And so I had a young boy um, this past weekend and it was just a, a really rewarding experience. Um, I just, I, I really felt a, a good connection with this young boy and I felt that he was very comfortable in our home and with my, my kids who, who really warmed up to him and, and spent time with him. and. Uh, I was just glad that we could we could be that that family for him in this in this time of need. You know, there's just just hearing his story, both from the caseworker and him sharing things. You know, I never wanted to make him feel uncomfortable and pry into his background, but things came up, particularly because I had to take him for a supervised visit 
um, one of the days. And so I met the biological mother and, and that caseworker. And you just get a sense for the dynamic. And uh, it's, it's, uh, there's just a lot of brokenness, you know, out there in this world. And, we, and what we take for granted in our normal day-to-day -day family lives, um, just, well, that's the point. I mean, we take it for granted. And there's so many people out there, broken families, and um, just trying to provide some degree of normalcy for this, this young kid, you know, even if for a weekend, um, was, was a great opportunity for us. It, it ultimately was just discovering that, that the journey was what, what God wanted me to do, and fulfilling that journey, um, God spoke to my heart with an extreme sense of, of satisfaction. And, uh, you know, I, I hope in, in some way that it helped this young kid, in, in however small it might be, whether it's uh, just a sense of, of belonging, of love, of maybe you heard something at church. You know, you just never know what seeds you're planting. And uh, that's just really rewarding. I'm Mike Brummagen and I stand for kids in foster care.